0: From our changing bodies to our relationships to dealing with menopause and ageing at work and in society, my mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Menopause, that's something that's supposed to happen gradually. And you just think, yeah, that happens, right? But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes what happens is that it comes right up onto you because that's what a surgical menopause is like. And today I have a very special guest who's going to come on and she is going to share with us some of the experiences of a surgical menopause, the decisions that led up to that, and also what it's like 18 months post a complete hysterectomy. And that is Andrea Wilson-Woods. I am so delighted she's here. She's a writer, a cancer patient advocate, and a tech entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Andrea.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Clarissa.
0: It is my pleasure. Your journey into menopause began with your endometriosis, didn't it?
1: Yes, it did. I was diagnosed with endometriosis much later in life and quite by accident and continued to live with it for several years and then finally sort of bit the bullet and decided to have a complete hysterectomy.
0: Yeah, endometriosis is pretty tough, isn't it? How long had you been a sufferer?
1: I think I probably had it my entire life. I look back now, I'm like, why didn't I talk about this with my female friends? But I just assumed that people were in as much pain as I was. (laughs) And in my 20s, I was on birth control. And that definitely mitigated the symptoms and made it much better, much more tolerable. But in my 30s, I decided to get off birth control and It was just a completely different experience. It wasn't that I bled a lot. I'm going to be very blunt and open, but it was the amount of pain I had just prior to my cycle starting and the first day or so. And it just became so intolerable. I would be in bed with a heating pad and there was no amount of narcotics that could touch the pain. And on top of that, i had had some migraines in the past, but then it always triggered a migraine that lasted three or four days. I have a very high pain tolerance. I think most of my friends and my doctors would agree. And for me to be in that much pain and to be bedridden for three days a month was just, I couldn't do it anymore. I wish it was unbelievable to me, but The endometriosis itself was diagnosed quite by accident. I had a a uterine fibroid. It was actually just outside my uterus. And when I had that removed, I woke up and my gynecologist said, oh, and by the way, (laughs) do you know you have endometriosis? And, And I was stunned because I was 42, 43 and I didn't know. I knew what it was, but no one had ever diagnosed that. And he also said that he thought I had adenomyosis. And he had zapped out, if you will, with a laser as much of the endometriosis that he could. And he said that might alleviate some of your pain. But eventually, the only way to solve the problem is to actually have a complete hysterectomy.
0: Wow, that's such a shock, isn't it? Because we expect to be just fine. We expect to have endometriosis to be able to be fixed, maybe without a hysterectomy. But to tell you that at 40 when most women are kind of 20 or even younger when they're told they have endometriosis must have been a real shock
1: it was and there were other things i could have done but they were just dealing with the symptoms you know what i mean they weren't actually fixing the problem i could have gone in for hormone shots every month and and there were a couple of other things but ultimately i just told him If I'm going to fix the problem, I want to fix the problem, but I'm just not quite ready to do this yet. And that was in the summer of 2016. And I waited over three years. And that's when it just got to the point where I was, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. And I ended up having the hysterectomy in December of 2019.
0: Yes. What was the exact, just the pain? Was it the pain that really went, I can't do this anymore or just the whole experience?
1: I remember the moment actually. I, <laughs> I was in Los Angeles and where I used to live and I go back every year for a visit. So I was in LA. I was staying with a friend and I ended up getting my period on Halloween. I remember this so distinctly <laughs> and I couldn't move. I was in so much pain that I couldn't stand up and I hadn't really brought any painkillers or anything. And I texted my friend who was at work, who's extremely busy and has a very high profile job in the entertainment industry. And usually she never responds immediately. But I texted her and I said, I can't walk. This is why. Please tell me where pain meds are like anything. I'll take anything at this point. So I was crawling in her hallway. I don't even think she knows this part. (laughs) I was crawling with her cat following me and got the painkillers and that helped a little bit, got to the point where I could actually stand up and, and and eat something. And that's when I said, okay, I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. And so that was Halloween and I ended up getting the hysterectomy December 10th.
0: Wow. That was pretty quick. That's like six weeks after this had occurred.
1: Yeah, but six weeks plus three years of not doing it. <laughs>
0: That's true. That's true, Andrea. It's like putting it off and putting it off. I mean, the lead up to a hysterectomy is a big thing, isn't it?
1: Yes. I was terrified. I found a great support online forum called Hyster Sisters, and that was really helpful. But I I was still so scared. And I reached out to people I knew who had had hysterectomies, including my cousin, my stepdad sister-in-law and a few other people, but none of them had had their ovaries removed. And so they didn't wake up in menopause. They didn't, you know, they didn't experience that. And so that wasn't super helpful, except that they all said it was the best thing they had ever done. And I was also just terrified of how it would affect my sex life. And I had not read a lot of positive things and I was really worried about that because I was finally in a relationship with a wonderful man and still am. And that physical connection and that intimacy with him was so important to me. And I didn't want to lose that.
0: No, I understand that. I mean, that's such a important part. I mean, such an important part of our lives to be in a great relationship. But then the fear that that could change must have been Overwhelming in some spaces.
1: Yeah, it was. Even though he was incredibly supportive.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that he was there for you. And I think that's wonderful. But it's still, it's a big operation, isn't it? I mean, it's not to be taken, you know, lightly we talk about it and we hear a lot about our mother's generation that hysterectomy was the way they more or less solved a lot of this. Yeah.
1: Something funny did happen though after the hysterectomy. So I, Two things. I, I wake up and I'm still really out of it, it's still in the hospital. It's a, it's a one night stay in the hospital here in the States. And the first thing my gynecologist says to me, it's like, Oh my God, check out what we found or whatever. And, <laughs> and it turned out I had this large band of scar tissue all the way from one side of my body stretched across the front, like covering my whole lower abdomen to the other. It was scar tissue from an emergency appendectomy I had had 20 years before, and it was pushing the scar tissue, all of my organs, up. And I had been told in the past when I had an endoscopy that my organs were really kind of crunched and squished together, and people just wrote it off as, well, you're a small person, but I'm not that small, and my torso is not small, and that never made sense to me. And I had all kinds of digestive problems and issues. And he showed me he took pictures. This is the this is the first thing he did. He's like, can't see these pictures I took. And it it was crazy. Like it all of my organs were being held up. And so he actually removed that scar tissue. So it was a bonus. <laughs>
0: Wow, that's a bonus. That is a bonus. But I, I mean, I can remember going to an endometriosis society meeting in Sydney, and there was a very preeminent lawyer who was there. And he was no lawyer, gosh, doctor, surgeon, and he showed pictures of women's insides. I mean, literally just a mess of scars, everything glued together. It was shocking. Absolutely mind-numbing what women were going through. And clearly the endometriosis, as you said, affects your digestive system. He was talking about it affecting the diaphragm, the kidneys, the bowel, everything, which is not what we think of endometriosis. We think this is a womb issue, that's, but it is much more far-reaching, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and the other thing that freaked me out about the surgery was it was mostly laparoscopic and everything, uterus, cervix, everything was removed through my vagina, which I thought was crazy. And then I made the mistake the night before, you know, warning to listeners, do not do this. I just wanted some understanding of what this surgery was gonna be. And so I watched it. The actual surgery on YouTube, I kind of fast forward through it. It's over an hour long. And I went, oh my God, this is this is horrible. And when I woke up I wasn't actually in that much pain and I was okay. And I did not think that he had done the surgery that way. Like I told him he had to be wrong. <laughs> I'm arguing with him. I can be very argumentative when I'm coming out of anesthesia. And I said, I don't think you did that. Like, there's no way that you took anything out through, you know, my hoo I like to say, or my lady parts. And I said, I would, I, wouldn't I know when I feel it? And he said, not necessarily. And I I said, "Mm, I don't think you did that. I think you took it out of this little cut here. And he said, no, that's not what I did, Andrea. (laughs) So the actual surgery itself in terms of I did feel okay after surgery. I, I obviously there was some recovery time, but I was not in an extreme amount of pain at all.
0: That's amazing. But you are obviously on a long recovery process, did you realize that you were going to be tipped immediately into a menopause, post-menopause state after this?
1: Yes. Yeah, We talked about it. And when I woke up, there was already an estrogen patch on me. And actually, that was the first set of type of hormones that I took were the patches that you have to replace every three days. And if you work out at all, they just slide off. So I I found them extremely annoying. So I'm happy to discuss all the other things I've tried since. But yeah,
0: I woke up out of surgery with a patch on. That's good in some ways. But of course, as you said, we talked beforehand that patches slide off and you've had quite a journey with HRT, haven't you? And trying different ways to get it to work. Share a little bit about that, Andrea. Andrea.
1: Yeah. So I had to stay on the patches for a couple of weeks. And then when I went back for a follow up, we discussed doing these testosterone pellets. They're about the size of a grain of rice. And the pros to those pellets is that they are custom to use. So you go in for blood work. They look at where your hormone levels are, whether where your estrogen, progesterone and testosterone are. And then that those pellets are customized to use. That's the big pro. The con is they're not covered by insurance and they're very expensive. They also are really painful to put in because they're put in through your butt and it's a very deep insertion and painful. I couldn't even sit on that side for a week and I have a pretty good size bum, so... (laughs) And, you know, I thought that wouldn't be an issue, but I, I couldn't sit. And I know for a lot of women, those pellets are just miracles and they have more energy, but I could not tell the difference at all. I didn't think they made a difference from the patches, except that I it wasn't sliding off all the time. And just the cost and also the hassle of having to go in for blood work two weeks prior and then going back in. I didn't want to do it again. So they last about three months. And then we tried the spray. I think it's called Evan Evan Mist, the hormone spray. And that was covered by insurance pretty much, still very expensive. But the pro to that is that you control the spray. And so I was supposed to have one to two sprays a day. And so if I felt like I need a second spray, I could do it. But I didn't really like the spray because if your skin isn't absorbing it, it's just going out to the atmosphere. It's not, you know, there's no guarantee that your skin's actually absorbing it. And yeah, I I didn't like the spray. So now I'm on number four. (laughs) And so now I'm on the gel, Diva gel, I think it is. It's very similar to the spray. I'm on the lowest dosage you can get. And it's this little tiny gel packet about the size of your Small finger, and every day you put the gel on inside your thigh. it's a little sticky, so you kind of have to wait until you know it dries. But I would say kind of the pro to that is again you you do have some control like you don't have to put all that on if you don't want to, and if you need to get the actual level adjusted, you can. but I've gotten to the point now that I've been on the that gel I think for over six months and it doesn't seem to be working anymore. And yeah, so I actually have on my calendar this week to call my gynecologist and see, do I need something else? Do I need a slight increase? I'm paying attention to like days that I don't use the gel. Do I feel better? Because right now I really feel like My hormones are all over the place. The timing of this podcast could not be more perfect, (laughs) I'm telling you, because my hormones have just been, I feel totally crazy. Like I feel like a crazy person and it's not just feeling emotional. It's also, I've just been intensely angry, like just everyday frustration has turned into full-blown anger and I'm not normally like that. I'm normally a pretty fun person.
0: Are you finding any ways that you can manage that anger? Not
1: yet. <laughs> My favorite thing to do is go to the batting cages. I used to love to go to the batting cages. Whenever I got frustrated, i go to the batting cages and just hit balls. But I think they're closed.
0: <laughs> yeah. COVID, (laughs) the gift that keeps giving. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I exercise. I mean, that's one thing I started doing. I I thought, okay, well, that's got to help with this stuff. And so I started exercising and I've been really good about the last six, seven weeks or so exercising a good five days a week. But even that's not really helping anymore.
0: No. And were you offered any other support systems when you went through the hysterectomy beyond HRT? No. What do you, maybe in that space, I might ask you, what do you think you should have needed in order to have, you know, gone through such a major operation and, you know, been able to really cope with it well?
1: Well, I found the Hyster Sisters online forum really helpful for the preparation and the recovery from the physical surgery itself. I mean, that's what they focus on. It's all about hysterectomies. But I actually went on there yesterday and I was struggling to find more information about, there is some, don't get me wrong, but more information about just dealing with these emotions and different types of HRT and... You know, I I would really love that because the support they have for pre, during, and post surgery is fantastic. It's really, really fantastic. But now like I'm I'm eighteen months out and I need something different.
0: Yeah. What does life feel like eighteen months out from a hysterectomy, a complete one?
1: Well, I love not having my period anymore. That's amazing. (laughs) That's just amazing. And I have fewer migraines. You know, I don't have those migraines that are connected to my cycle. I mean, I still get migraines, but they're nowhere near as debilitating as they used to be. Those are pros. I mean, I can't say enough good things about that. It has affected my intimate life and we, you know, I can, I can feel a decrease in my libido, which is frustrating. And and we've definitely had to use, you know, more lubricant and things of that nature. But right now, it's it's really just more trying to get a handle on the the emotions.
0: Yeah. And that is so hard. We're not prepared for that. I don't think, as you said, you had some really great support in the lead up to the operation and post. But then where do we go from here if there isn't a place, an automatic place to go? Yeah.
1: And I and and also just oh man the the hot flashes like I feel like compared to a lot of women that I that you know I've spoken with my hot flashes tend to be fairly mild except for that first one but which we could talk about but like I just can't and I used to be someone who's always cold, always. And now it's so hard to cool down and we're getting into summer. And I live in Alabama where it is humid, 100% humidity, where you walk outside and you already feel sticky. And it just makes me not want to go outside. I don't even like taking hot showers anymore. I take sort of lukewarm showers or even cold showers I used to love to take baths. I'm not really doing baths anymore because I used to like to take a hot bath. <laughs> and so I think that's the other thing is like, gosh, I just I'm tired of feeling like a furnace from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. And yeah, yeah, there needs to be something for that as well. <laughs>
0: this sounds like that does yeah I mean you've had some pretty dramatic hot flushes I mean if you feel comfortable sharing that and that first one I mean that is a drama but it might be something that would relate for so many of our listeners go oh I'm not alone (laughs) if that's okay
1: I would be happy to as I told you I had always sort of wondered you know what Hot flashes were like, and no one would ever tell me, like none of the women in my life. And they would always say the same thing. Well, you'll know. You'll know when you get one. You'll know. And that wasn't very helpful for me. Well, that is true though. You will know. So I was on, it was New Year's Day. It was January 1st, 2015. I remember very distinctly because I had just moved to Birmingham, but I was, I had gone away for Christmas. So I'm on cross country flight and I'm going from Portland, Oregon to Atlanta, Georgia. It's a direct flight. It's about a six hour flight. And I was only forty two at this point. And I was in a middle seat in the back. And it was really funny because uh the window seat was a young man and on the aisle seat was a young woman and he was trying to hit on her and talk around and over me and she wasn't having it. It was really funny. So there was that, you know, element of it too. But about halfway through the flight, all of a sudden I felt like someone had just lit my feet on fire. I, I, I just couldn't believe the sensation. In fact, I don't think the last time I had felt anything like that was when my feet got sunburned on spring break when I was in high school. <laughs> you know, um, And my feet were just on fire. And then it was just like this force of heat went all the way from the bottom of my feet, all the way to the top of my head and all, and I just broke out into this horrible, horrible sweat and I could feel it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I, I just have to go to the bathroom. And so I get up, excuse myself. And just then we hit turbulence and really bad turbulence and they're like seat belts on, sit down and the flight attendant looks at me. She's about to tell me to go back to my seat and. Thankfully, she she was a woman and she was older, and she took one look at me and she said, "Never mind," and she just let me go. And I go in there and I am beet red, tomato red again. It looks like I have a sunburn, and and my skin's a little ruddy anyway. But this was ridiculous, and so I start splashing my face with cold water. Meantime, the plane is you know jostling around and, and everything, and I just kind of stay there for a couple minutes. And then I realized that my jeans are soaked from sweat. I was like, oh God, this is just disgusting. It did it didn't look like I had, you know, urinated or anything, but it was just weird. It was just gross and weird and nasty. So I go back to my seat. I can't explain this, obviously, to two, you know, 20 something year olds. And then we land in Atlanta and then I have to drive from Atlanta to Birmingham and like a two, two and a half hour drive back home. And my jeans were sort of like cold and drying out, but not really. And I, I just remember this. It was so clear. And I'm thinking, this is how my new year starts. Like, this is it. Like, this is ridiculous. But then I thought back to that advice and I was like, oh all those women were right. You know it when it happens, like, you know it. And I didn't have another hot flash like that again for a really
0: long time. But
1: that was like, it was like this wake up call, like, hello, welcome. Here's what's coming.
0: Oh God, Andy, I really appreciate that because I bet there are women out there who are going, oh my God, I so relate to that. And if nothing else, it's that sensation that you are literally being, I don't know, boiled alive. You're on fire. And it's not external heat, is it? It's not that kind of heat that comes from it's hot outside. It's in you.
1: Yeah, it's inside of you. Like it just boiled, yeah, from the inside out. That's a
0: good way to put it. Yeah. So you've had obviously some menopausal symptoms during this journey, including hot flashes and these emotions, these sort of very strong emotions. Has there been any other signs for you that you are going through or in menopause or beyond? Obviously, periods are gone because you don't have a womb anymore, don't have ovaries anymore.
1: Well, I actually did a funny video about this. So I get these delightful hairs on my chin now. Delightful. And I call them Edna. <laughs> and, and so, so yeah, so I'm on a regular basis, I'm looking into my magnifying mirror and trying to get rid of my Edna's on my chin with my tweezers. That's fun. I think that might come with age anyway, but it definitely is amplified when you're in menopause. Oh gosh, there was, there was one more I was thinking of. Oh, one time in an Uber, I, I was in an Uber and Going to the airport, I forget where I was, what city I was in, and I was sharing the Uber, which I didn't normally do, and I had a hot flash in the Uber. And I just started taking off my clothes. I didn't care. I was like, I don't care right now. I mean, I took off my coat. I took off my suit jacket. I, you know, like was opening my blouse. I had a little cami underneath, so I wasn't that worried about it. But I mean, and this guy next to me. A guy, of course, it was a man, had to be a man, just looked at me like I was losing my mind, you know, I mean, but I was just taking off clothes. I was like, I'm hot, can't handle
0: it, clothes are coming off. (laughs) He must have either he was like, Wow, it's my lucky day, or you're thinking she's some crazy person.
1: I think it was the latter. Yeah, definitely. He just thought I was crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh God. And it's good that you can laugh about it. You have to, right? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Because in uh, in hindsight, it's very funny. But that- Sometimes when it's happening, it's like you said, well, you felt gross on that plane. And there was just that, oh my God, feeling. And I don't know how to tell anybody, but yeah, sometimes we just have to, there are hilarious moments. And I think that might be the biggest take, but in the midst of all this, oh, trauma, it's just humor too.
1: Yeah. Oh, and I don't wear my winter what I call my winter pajamas anymore. I haven't worn them for two years. I have this drawer full of my sort of warmer pajamas. Don't wear those anymore. Not at all. Yeah. You know, I wear as little to bed as possible. I guess <laughs> that's when the heat monster strikes.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Those things disappear, but they do eventually subside is probably what I would say to to my listeners that Eventually, these things do settle down, but it is a long process. Yeah,
1: boy, I'm looking forward to it. It, It's funny, I have uh, the friend I stayed with in L.A., she's seven years older than me. And when I told her later that night when she came home, you know, about my pain and this and that, we were discussing hot flashes or perimenopause. And she's like, yeah, I've never had a hot flash and at that point, I'd already had that one on the plane and a few others that were milder. And I just told her, I said, I wouldn't go around telling other women our age that, that you have not had a hot flash because one of them actually might just punch you. So don't go around saying it.
0: And they are very common. They are very common. I mean, 80% of women do have them. She might be one of the lucky 20%, but... It's also that we tend to get them towards the end. It's more common to have them towards the end of our menopause than at the at the beginning. So you know, maybe she will be lucky, and I fingers crossed that she is. But she never knows; they can suddenly strike.
1: Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe she's lucky. But I feel good already that you're telling me that I'm in the
0: end. <laughs> I feel better. <laughs> You probably would be. I mean, hysterectomy is quite dramatic in that it pushes you right into this space without the kind of weird lead up and hormonal swings and all those things that go on for years and years. It kind of puts you right at the sharp end.
1: Yeah. If anything, at least there was a little bit of control there. I kind of knew what was going to happen.
0: Yeah. But I do love the fact that you're discussing this. And I think that is so important that you can discuss these things with humor. I love that.
1: I love you're doing this podcast because I don't think anyone else is talking about it. And I wonder how different things would be if this were, if these were conversations that women were having on a regular basis.
0: I agree. I, and I think, you know, there are a lot of people, particularly in the UK, who are having this amazing conversation about menopause, which, Having lived there and knowing how uptight people are about bodies and sex, I just find fascinating, actually. But no, this is a journey for women to, you know, tune in. And and I think more than anything to say, gosh, I'm not alone. There are lots of women like me and I don't have to be ashamed of my experiences, my body.
1: Yeah, I don't feel shame. I just get so frustrated. I really do. I get I get extremely frustrated. And I, I try all kinds of I'm still trying experimenting with different supplements and, and things. Yeah, I, I just get frustrated.
0: And I understand that because your journey with HRT is frustrating. I, I think when I hear that, but I also hear that from many other women that this is the kind of experience. And it's not about that HRT is good or bad or wrong or right. But there the journey is very going back and forth. And that, but, you know, experimenting with HRT is something that maybe too many women are having to experience. They're experiencing one moment that it's working. And as you said, then it's not. And you change to something else and it it doesn't work for another reason. And that, that has been, I, I hear, very frustrating for you. Am I right, Andrea?
1: Yeah, it has. And when I've asked my stepmom about this, she, because I do remember when she was going through menopause, because if I ever visited my parents' house, it was 55 degrees, no joke. It was freezing in her house for a few years, freezing. And she didn't do any hormones at all. And it, she just, I don't know, that was just a choice she made. And of course there were a lot less choices for her back then, 20 years ago or whatever. And so she, she didn't do them and she just kind of, stuck it out, tuft it out, you know, which is one choice. And then yeah, yeah, I guess I'll guess I'll just stop there with it. I, I I'm I'm grateful that we have more choices now. So that's definitely the positive. If something doesn't work for you, at least you can try something else.
0: Very true. Andrea, if you had some top tips or advice for women like yourself that were going to go through a complete hysterectomy in terms of preparing for it emotionally, mentally, and how to navigate afterwards, what would those be?
1: I would say, especially right after, give yourself time to recover. I was going to travel that Christmas, and I wasn't able to. I thought, I really thought it wouldn't be a problem. I was like, ah, I'll get on a plane, no problem. And give yourself time to heal because you've got a lot of physical healing that has to take place in addition to this emotional state that you are thrust in. I didn't feel overly emotional right after the surgery, perhaps because I was so focused on the physical healing. Yeah, be very kind to yourself. If you need a nap, Take a nap. <laughs> that's that's a big thing too. I won't sleep at night at all. And then I need a nap during the day. And ask for help. When you need it, ask for help. And don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't don't be afraid to to just ask. One of the sort of bizarre side effects I had of my surgery, very unusual, but it did happen. And initially it was actually much worse than anything else was the type of scrub they use to scrub your whole torso prior to surgery, I was allergic to, it turns out. Now we know. And and they scrub you till you're pretty much raw is what my doctor told me. Well, I ended up with a horrible rash that was painful and itchy all the way across my body. Like you would, you would have thought that I had chicken pox again or something. And that actually initially was much worse than the pain because nothing was working for the rash. And it was the only time where I had to really beg my gynecologist and push him really hard for help because he didn't realize how serious it was until he actually saw me. And, and he had had a few other patients that had very sensitive skin that had a bad reaction. And, and he even put in my medical chart as an allergy now. And I I just said, you have to give me something just to take, this is, I said, this is so much worse than anything else going on right now because I was scratching constantly, you know, and so that was just kind of a weird physical thing. I, and also I would just say, be open to it. I didn't fight my gynecologist about having a patch. Right when I woke up, I trusted his judgment on that, and, like he said, if that doesn't work, we can switch it, and eventually we did
0: I think that's really great advice, Andrea, that people you know should have a good relationship with their gynecologists, not fight them at this stage. I mean, it's a major op. they probably have some really i mean they just have the knowledge and the experience and um, to keep working with them, yeah. Andrea, I love that you shared this story. I mean, aspects of it are difficult, but there's been also humor in there. And I appreciate that so much. Well, this is certainly the most
1: different podcast I've ever done, Clarissa. (laughs) But I love what you're doing.
0: I really, really do. I appreciate that. Andrea, obviously, we're going to share this on our, our platform I know also that you're connected with uh, some important work around cancer because of your sister's journey and that you, she, you lost her to cancer. Is there anything about that you'd like to share so we can get that across to our listeners too? Absolutely. I am the
1: CEO and co-founder of Cancer University. It's an online membership platform for cancer patients and also caregivers to educate, empower and engage them to become advocates for their cancer care to improve outcomes and reduce cost. And the platform is free for patients and caregivers. And the best way to access it is just go to cancer.university and look for the buttons that say enroll now. And when it says, you know, coupon code, or how did you hear about us? All they need to do is write the word menopause and we'll know (laughs) and they can access those free memberships
0: that is beautiful andrea and we will put that in the show notes and in the social media we do because that is very beautiful work that's born out of something that is incredibly sad thank you so much andrea it's been a pleasure thank you once again
1: oh thank you for having me you're doing amazing work thank you
0: Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions. Why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback Opinions and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissa I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who is, feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissa You can find free resources. And you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening.
1: McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the best ever Big Mac burger. Take it away, Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, there's more special sauce in every bite. Rubble, rubble. He said, rubble, rubble.
0: Rubble, rubble. Rubble, rubble indeed, my friend.
1: Try the Juicier Big Mac and get 20% off any purchase of $10 or more. Only on the app. Comparison to Prior Classic Burgers, limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid once per day. Exclude stacks must be opted into rewards. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization.